read, you're welcome to read along with us. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Euturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. What the heck, Luke? What's he doing? He gives us like this big, long list. What's that about? Come on, I, I want to get going here. What's with this, this, this big, long, detail list he gives us of who's who and who's what? And, and, and uh, he, he says in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. Okay, math question. Math question, everybody. 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, right? Tiberius began to reign in... Anybody remember? 14 AD. So what year was it? Come on. 29 AD. Very good. You guys are on the ball. So the question is, is why did Luke go to all that trouble to give us all these details? How many have ever heard a story that begins with once upon a time? How many have ever heard that? What does that mean? It didn't happen, right? It means it's a fairy story, right? It means, you, you know, it's, it's a nice story, but it probably didn't happen. This is not a once upon a time. This is actually, actually in 29 AD when so-and-so was king. It'd be like today when Prime Minister Trudeau was Prime Minister of Canada and Obama was the president of the USA. There were some pretty cool kids at the Vancouver Eastside Vineyard Church who loved to come and worship God. It's kind of that same thing. So Luke is saying, this is not a fairy story. This is not a myth. This really happened. By the way, that's how C.S. Lewis became a Christian. Because he read about all these myths of rising and dying gods through all the religions. And he was having an argument with who knows who led C.S. Lewis to the Lord. He was having an argument with... We know him really well. He's putting out a lot of good stories lately in the movies. J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Tolkien said to C.S. Lewis, yeah, but there's one difference between, because he looked at Christianity, and C.S. Lewis said, see, that myth is in every other religion and every other fable I've seen of a myth of a rising and dying God and rising again. That's, that's everywhere. But Tolkien said, yeah, but this one happened in history. This happened at our actual time. Jesus Christ actually existed on earth. And when myth and fact came together for Lewis, it changed his life. He was a, uh, an atheist, and he became a great apologist for the Christian faith. So let's go on. I thought you'd enjoy that little... By the way, what does the word, the name John mean? This is important for today. What does the name John mean? Close, Yeah. Pretty close. I think Ian's pretty... It's, it's actually the undeserved gift of God's grace. So, in the middle of all this crap... Oh, sorry, bad example for your kids. Uh, in the midst of all of this that was going on, an unbelievable gift of God's grace was given to that generation. John was given as a gift to his generation. Just like you've been given as a gift to your generation. 
and I've been given as a gift to my generation, and Vancouver Eastside Vineyard has been given as an undeserved gift of God's grace to this neighborhood, right? And John the Baptist began to go, hear ye, hear ye. It says he went into, let's all read it together. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Can you just, you can almost hear John being the town crier, only he was way out in the bush somewhere. He was out in the wilderness by the Jordan River, but he's crying out, get ready, the king is coming. And it's not King Caesar, it's not uh, King Herod, it's God, the King. The King God is coming. Get ready. Well, what do we, how, how? He says, make a highway. Remember when, they, when the Whistler Olympics, when the Olympics were in Vancouver and they had to get ready for Whistler, they, they redid the highway because they knew dignitaries and traffic and people. There was a preparation that had to go on. And John said the same thing. God's going to need a highway. Have you ever looked at that highway? Have you ever driven to the Okanagan? Have you ever driven to Banff or Calgary through the Rockies? Can you imagine doing a highway like that without earth movers and tractors and graders and packers and pavers? Can you imagine... It's impossible. And that's exactly what John was saying here. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. Sorry, you're supposed to read. Let's start again. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. The good news of Christ. What is John saying here? It's impossible to build this road. Guess what? The good news. Gift of God's grace. God's going to be the bulldozer. God's going to be the earth mover. God's going to remove the boulders. He's going to get this world ready for his coming. We can't do it. All we can do is prepare our hearts for him to come. He'll do the rest. So this whole thing of preparing our hearts, God has given us some gracious gifts. And one of the gifts that God has given us to prepare for his coming was the Advent wreath. And the Advent wreath was started by the Germans. Yay, Robin and Nina, there you go. The Germans, yeah! Germans, everybody go, yaw, the Germans, right? And, and uh, what happened is after the Reformation, they started doing these wreaths in the Lutheran German church. And uh, about uh, 100 or 200 years ago, I'm not exactly sure when he lived, but there was a German pastor by the name of Johann Hinrich Wickern. Did I say it right? Wickern? Wichern? Is it Wichern or Wickern? Huh? Wichern. I know that I got a right? I got a in a bit. All right. So, 
I'm sorry, I'm so bad. I'm still a youth, I'm still a youth pastor, aren't I? I, I try to hide it, but okay. So, so he, he was a godly guy, wonderful man of God, a Lutheran pastor, and he reached out to a lot of the poor street kids in Hamburg, Germany, the home of the hamburger, hamburger right? <laughs> That's what we think. That's our story, and we're sticking to it, right? And um, so there was a lot of poor kids, and uh, you guys, this guy... There was a lot of kids on the street that didn't have a mommy and a daddy, and they didn't have an uncle or an auntie or a grandma and a grandpa to take care of them. And uh, so they, uh, this guy reached out and started a school, a mission school, where they could come to school in Hamburg, Germany. And he noticed that when it came time to kind of around December, all the kids started getting really impatient for Christmas. They, didn't, they, they, they couldn't wait for it to arrive. And he said, no, 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 it's not Christmas yet. They said, let's sing carols, let's, let's celebrate. And he was going, no, it's still Advent. He, they were just like our culture. I mean, we want to start Christmas right after Halloween. I mean, after Halloween, I walk in the Safeway and there's, they're playing Christmas carols. I was so upset, right? We just, what, what's, why are we in such a hurry, right? And he said, wait, wait, wait. So he designed an Advent candle that looked kind of like this. And how many have ever seen a countdown calendar? You ever seen one of those? This is like a, a countdown advent candle. And what do the little red candles represent there? The days. That's right. The days of advent. So what he did is he got them to light a candle every day because they went to school every day back then. And then when they went to church on Sunday, they'd light the big white ones, right? So that's kind of where that whole thing started. And of course, it evolved into the simpler version because we don't meet together every day, right? But we meet on Sunday. So we light the Advent candle that way. Now, it kind of reminded me, how does that prepare us for Christmas? So it reminds me of a story of my kids. When they were uh, Christian, my son was eight years old and my daughter was five. Anybody here five? Anybody five years old? Evangeline? Anybody else? You want to be five again, don't you, Annika? Yeah. Me too. <laughs> How old are you, Pax? How old are you now? Are you five? You're six. You're six, right? Yeah. Well, my daughter was five, and my son was eight. And we did something that I never want any of you ever to do as parents. Don't do what we do. All right? But we had to go, and it wasn't, it was a bit of a strange circumstance, but we had to leave our children with their grandparents for a whole month while we went on this mission trip overseas. Okay, don't ever do that. Well, if they're 20 or 25, you can do it then. But, but it was probably the hardest time I'd ever had as a parent. We left them with their grandparents in Calgary, we went on this mission trip to England and, and traveled around. And it was an incredible mission trip. We would go on the streets and have this dramatic musical dance kind of portrayal. And we would draw hundreds of people in London and in Ipswich and in Kent. And we traveled all over. the. And many, many people came to the Lord. At the end of the play, I would jump up and pretend I was part of the play. And I would, I would talk about how that I had a son and a daughter back in Canada 
that I was, my heart was aching for. And if I was to ever lose them, no one else could ever take my place. And then I would tell people on the streets, I would tell them, that's God's heart for you. And people just came to Christ. Our hosts in English were shocked. They'd never seen this. This was back in the late 80s. They'd never seen this kind of evangelism on the street. And some of those people that responded became permanent members of the different churches that we were. So it was really cool. So there was lasting fruit that happened as a result of that trip. So it was really wonderful. But what I found out later that it is my daughter and son were having a terrible time. They were missing as bad as we were missing them. They were missing us. And, and, and my, my son's a little more reserved, but he, he, he was having just as hard a time. But my, my daughter, those of you that know her, she's a little bit out there, isn't she? She's a little more hard on the sleeve kind of person. And her, she, her grandma was trying to help her cope. And so her grandma, to help her get ready for us, she did up this little calendar for her. And, and my daughter, she was describing it to me because I phoned her and I, I asked her about it or texted her. And she, she described it. And it was kind of like this. It was kind of one of these calendars she put up on the wall for all the 30 days that we were going to be away. And every time a day would pass, she'd do a little sticker over it. Right? 28, 27... See that? Aren't I high tech? I'm so proud of myself. You know, I, I tried to get stickers on internet and everybody wanted me to pay. So I cheated and got one from Microsoft Word. Worked really well. So there you go. So, so this, she counted down, she counted down, counted down. And we'll take a shortcut because we'll be here all day if we don't. So, uh, so we came to the last day and... Uh, I mean, our hearts were the same, but it kind of helped her cope. And then on that last day, when, when the time was up, when it was time to go to the airport, we arrived in Calgary. And uh, when we came out of the gate, she was, well, they both were dr dressed to the nines. She had the cutest little dress on and cutest little uh, sweater, and she looked like she was preparing to meet the Queen of England. It was unbelievable. Little five-year-old. I saw her with her grandparents, and she ripped herself out of their arms, and she took off. And, she, you know, she was flying. I mean, it was faster than the O.J. Simpson Airport. Remember that thing way back a long time? Anyway, she was just a going... And she came flying right at me and was airborne. I don't know how soon she started that. She was airborne. And she just flew into my arm, bam, like that. Wrapped her little leg, legs around my waist, her little arms around my neck. And just, oh, I could hardly breathe. And I was crying and she was crying. And it, I think I heard her say, don't you ever do that again. <laughs> uh, and we didn't. Oh, that was hard. So there's something powerful about counting down. That there's something powerful about waiting. There's something powerful about learning to hope, which is our first candle, but to do it in peace and patience, which is our second candle. And the third candle, what does it mean again? And the fourth candle, joy. And the fifth candle, the middle one, we'll light that at Christmas Eve. It's the Christ candle. So, isn't that a cool story? So what I want to do 
is I want to show you now how the communion is something that Jesus instituted that's very similar to the Advent candle. There's a, there's a parallel. We're going to prepare for communion. And um, we're going to have it together as families, as generations today. But communion is three things with regards to time. Communion is, first of all, recalling. It's about memory. Just like the Advent candle is about memory, isn't it? It's not just about looking forward to Christmas. It's looking back to the fact that God came, as our worship team so beautifully sang about today. God came. And uh, when we have communion, Jesus said, do this in, memory, in remembrance of me. Do this in memory. The biggest problem that the people of God have is they got a bad memory. I've got a bad memory. Every time I face a problem or a difficulty, I forget how God has delivered me so many times. And so communion helps us remember that Jesus came, that he died for us. He shed his blood so we could be forgiven of sin. And he rose from the dead. So remembering past. There's another tense that's involved with communion. Can you guess what it is? Future. Paul said, as long as you have communion, you're proclaiming that he's coming. The Lord's coming. Right? He came. What does Advent mean? Coming. He came. He is coming again. So we have the future, that there's coming a day when there will be no more terrorism and mass shootings. Did you know one of my family members, my cousin and his auntie, were in that school in San Bernardino, California? There's going to come a day when there's no more cancer, when there's no more death and disease and violence and racism and war. There's coming a day. And I long for that day. I long for that day when God will wipe all tears from our eyes. That is our hope and that is a promise. It's not just, well, I hope so, or once upon a time, or some fairy tale. It is a sure hope. We proclaim that he's coming when we have communion. And the last thing, the last tense is the awesome. Awesome. See, because when we have communion, we, we, talk, we proclaim his coming in the past, we proclaim his coming in the future, but when we have communion, we open the door to encounter his coming in the present. He wants to come to us today. And so we say, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done. So come on up, Rick, and we're going to have communion together. And what I'd like to do is to serve our musicians and worship team first uh, because they're going to go back and lead us in some worship as well.